Hello and welcome to Hammer Time. I'm Rachel. I'm Kaylee, And we are auctioneers. People always say to us, you must have the best job in the world. Well, not to be too smug, but we actually do. We have turned our interests and passions into a job. Yeah, quite literally living the dream. We talk about objects, history, stories, and what it is like to be a working mum in this crazy business. There is beauty, excitement, and stories you literally won't believe. So, Kaylee, why are we doing these podcasts? We are not your stereotypical example of a tweedy red trousered man with a new breed of auctioneers and quite frankly nerds so join us as we delve into the weird and wonderful world of antiques and auctions Hello and welcome to a very special Christmas edition of Hammer Time. Unfortunately, you're stuck with just me today. Rachel has a lurgy and we decided it probably wasn't best to sit close to each other in a small room. Um, didn't really fancy getting sick before Christmas, but I do have a very special guest joining me all the way from the North Pole for an interview. And then we will finish with a ghost story because who doesn't love a classic ghost story at Christmas? So grab yourself a cup of tea and get ready for today's episode. It feels a bit weird to be all alone in a room rambling on, but I'll tell you a bit about what's been going on this week. So it's very quiet here at Fieldings. It's Tuesday, which is our valuation day. But unsurprisingly, not many people have taken us up on that just before Christmas. So it's all very quiet and everybody's busy getting on with all the last things they need to do before Christmas. We've just finished our catalogue for a January sale. So the last photos are being done, images are being checked, it's being proofread so it'll be ready to go as soon as we come back and we're all quite excited because tomorrow is our Christmas party Um, now Fieldings do know how to throw a Christmas party we're very lucky here we've done some great things such as pottery making clay pigeon shooting and this year we're doing fancy dress bowling it was going to be ordinary bowling but the people who didn't want to dress up were outvoted and were strong-armed into having to dress up now, most people are being very secretive about exactly what they're going to be. So looking forward to finding that out tomorrow. And I'm sure we'll have some good pictures to put on the blog for you to have a look at. At home, it's also been very busy with two young children. Everybody's very excited in my house. We did go to see Santa at Magic Alley in Stratford-upon-Avon, which I thoroughly recommend. My son was very excited when Santa remembered that he does martial arts every week and he asked him to remind him what belt he'd achieved so that was absolutely lovely um, it's well worth going if you want to see Santa at any point uh, while we were there I asked Santa if he'd be up for doing an episode of the podcast and thankfully he said yes so let's get on with it here we go Hello, Santa. Thank you so much for joining us today. Ho, ho, ho. Thanks for having me. I'm guessing you're very busy at the moment. I've been very busy. There are lots of children on the nice list this year. You've been around for a long time. Has your main focus always been on delivering toys? I didn't really have too many toy deliveries until the late 19th century. Life was very different for children in the past. What sort of toys did children have then? Wealthy children may have had rocking horses, dolls, footballs and skipping ropes. 
poor children had to make their own versions of these toys from rags. Of course, in the early 1870s, children would have to work as soon as they could, and they were permitted to work ten hours a day, so they didn't have a lot of time to play. That's right, but things started to change quite quickly with more children attending school. At the same time, mortality rates were changing, families were having less children, earning more, and food was cheaper. All of this meant changing attitudes to childhood and families spending more money on children, which meant more toys. Where were toys made in the late 19th century? By my elves in the North Pole, of course, but a lot of toys were also made in Germany and they dominated the market into the 20th century. The world's largest factory was owned by Bing in 1914. What about British toys? It was very difficult for British companies to compete with German techniques and low wages. Toys made here tended to occupy the lower end of the market. Some British companies found success at this time, though. William Britton revolutionised the market for toy soldiers by inventing the hollow cast method of production, which was much cheaper than the continental solid cast method. Dean's rag book were a favourite of mine at the time, producing cloth books for young children before moving into dolls and teddy bears. And we must talk about Frank Hornby, who produced his first Mechanics Made Easy set in 1901. This would later become Meccano. Just six years later, it would have the largest sales of any toy in the whole world. The First World War disrupted the market and the lack of German competition let British toy makers thrive at the end of the war. But when free trade was restored, Germany dominated again. Some British manufacturers still found success, though. Frank Hornby released his first Hornby trains in 1920 and his Dinky Toys Tigerst model cars in 1934 which were very well received. In the Second World War, many materials used for toy making were restricted and many factories were turned over to the war effort. After the war ended, British toy companies thrived as there was a control on imports. Farnell's teddy bears, Pelham puppets and Rosebud dolls all enjoyed great success at this time. 90% of toys sold in Britain at this time were British made and by the end of the 1950s we were the world's biggest exporter of toys and Lyons Brothers would often claim they had the largest toy factory in the world. The Lyons Brothers led the market throughout the 1960s and 70s with three other companies, which were together known as the Big Four. The other three companies were Airfix, best known for their plastic model kits, and Lesney and Metoy, known for their die-cast model ranges, Matchbox and Corgi. People had more disposable income and they were happy to spend it on toys. What other toys were popular at this time? The Corgi James Bondaston Martin model would sell four million models. Action Man, Cindy, Hot Wheels and Lego all frequently appeared in children's letters to me. I notice you say Hot Wheels and Lego. Are we moving away from British-made toys again? Sadly, yes. The Big Four would all be gone by the 1980s, along with many other toy companies. Some say they became complacent with a lack of competition and they floundered in comparison to innovative German, Japanese and American companies. 1970s were, of course, a difficult time in Britain anyway, with strikes and price hikes. It was a sad end to a golden age of British toy making, but some toy companies are still holding the fort. Mary Thought is still making teddy bears in England almost 100 years on from the company's inception, and Kid Creations, based in Staffordshire, recently revived the Cindy doll.
Yes, I'm sure you know all about that. I did spot Cindy's on your daughter's Christmas list. And with that, I'd better get back to it. Thank you so much for joining us. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. Ho, ho, ho. Okay, welcome to Item of the Week. So each week, uh, Kaylee and I pick an item and we both talk about it because well, we think it might be quite interesting for you to uh, have a look at them yourself. So we will be putting pictures up, won't we, Kaylee? You will. You'll be able to have a look on the link in the description of the podcast. Okay, so today, well, you brought a doll along. I have, obviously. I can't get enough of dolls. Um, and this is my very favourite doll of all. Okay, so who is she? She looks, I mean, she does look amazing. So who is she? This is Havoc, the super agent. I mean, if you want to describe her for the people who are listening who can't see the picture just yet. Okay, yeah, that's a good idea. Okay, so what I can see is we've got quite a small looking doll, actually. Um, she's got the most amazing outfit, bobbed haircut. She looks like she's sort of 70s-ish, 60s possibly, I don't know, you'll tell me. Um, loads of bits with her. Um, a typewriter, camera, binoculars, and most strangely, a gun. So I don't think I've ever seen a doll with a gun before. So tell me about that. Yeah, that is why I love Habit because she's so out there and so different to the other dolls. She rides motorcycles, she can wrangle snakes, she uses weapons, she conceals them in guitar cases and goes on secret missions. Um, you're right in saying that she is 70s, um, she, and you're right that she's small, so she's a slightly smaller fashion doll than Cindy and Barbie. She is the cousin of the Mary Quant Daisy doll, so I don't know if you're aware of this doll. No, not at all, but obviously Mary Quant I've heard of. So has Mary Quant got an involvement in this, or did, what, what hap- how's that sort of connected? She designed a whole range of clothes for Daisy and the box dolls come with a little, you know, the Mary Quant Daisy logo on the box. They're very stylish and she's got the most amazing round range of outfits. But the problem was that, you know, if you, Cindy and Barbie were the big dolls Mm. and if that's what you had, the clothes wouldn't fit onto them. So yeah, of course, because they're not, yeah, they're not going to be able to borrow clothes because that's what you do with dolls, isn't it? You swap the clothes, you change them all around. That's the kind of fun of it, really. So... So you couldn't do this with Havoc and these dolls? No, they're just a little bit too small. So that that's the problem with them. But I just think she's so cool. You don't see yeah. other dolls that do this. Uh, and it, it was quite an exciting time for dolls in general, I think. So before the 1960s, dolls were dressed like your mum, really. Oh, right. They'd okay. be like twin set, court shoes, that kind of... Yeah, they've all got that <laughs> they've all got that kind of look to them, haven't they? They're very sort of neat girl next door or housewife kind of thing. I mean, yeah, let's look at it in 2022, a little bit of a different woman going on here. So she kind of fits almost modern day now. I mean, she looks amazing. She looks really cool, very stylish. She's not, you know, your typical doll in that sense. She doesn't look like those dolls. So is she really popular? No, she's not that well known. And often at other auction houses, when you have a look through the catalogues, she'll just be bundled in with other dolls because they haven't really been able to identify her. I don't know who she is. So she's no. a bit of a, oh, she's a bit of a mystery, which kind of works with her secret agent sort of feel to her. So what's she worth? 
the doll on her own uh, would be about sixty pounds. Oh, really? Uh, with, is that all? Yeah, uh, but it's the outfits that is where the money is. You know, trying to get all these small pieces. She comes with so many little bits and pieces. If you can get them on the original card, because on the back of the packaging as well, you've got the most amazing comic strips. Oh, really? Detailing her adventures. So. Oh yeah, because we haven't got the box here. So she would. What would the box have looked like if you if if you had the box, like all the bits originally from the date, what what would the box have looked like? So bright pink, really brightly coloured, but with nice. really amazing artwork, you know, big yellow flash. Yeah. And then on the back, you'd have the comic strip um, and each outfit would have its own story to go with it. So oh, you get yeah. to see all her adventures. So I can imagine that, okay, so what we're saying is we've got the doll here, we've got all the bits, which is good. Um, we haven't got the box. So is it worth more if you have the box? Is that, I mean, that kind of is the general premise, isn't it? If you've got all the original bits, it's worth more. Is that right in the doll world? Yeah, that's, that's generally a rule with any toy. But what I find is that doll collectors aren't as bothered about having things mint in the packaging as other collectors. So to Star Wars collectors, generally, they want everything mint on the card and they want it displayed really nicely a lot of doll collectors take pleasure in dressing the dolls up like we did as children and what people will often do is pose them in different scenarios and photograph them as part of the hobby and share it with other people really is this is this is this a thing is this what people do yeah, it's, it's amazing. And if, you, if you're in some of the doll groups on social media, you get to see the most fantastic setups. Um, and, it, and it's just really fun to see what people do with them. So, so sometimes people prize getting the pieces separately because they can do something with them, not just look right. at them. Oh, it's, okay. it's an active hobby and photography is a part of it. Oh, that's quite good. I like that. So just explain, just to go back ever so often, just a little bit. Um, when you say it's carded, what does that mean? For, the, for our listeners out there that are, you know, are new to this, they, they don't collect dolls, they're not aware of it, what does carded mean? What's that? So sometimes toys, instead of being in a box, they'll be packaged on a card. You know, when you go into a toy shop and you see them hanging up on a rack yeah. and they're in a card with a plastic bubble on them, carded just means they're still sealed inside their bubble on the original packaging. Oh, okay. So... Yeah, well, I know from my five-year-old daughter, as soon as she gets a doll, she'll rip the doll out of the packaging, throw that in the bin and not interested in that. So are we saying that people in this day and age, if they're collecting dolls, should they keep all that bit? Should they not play with them? Should they, what's what's the story there? I'm not sure that toys in packaging nowadays will ever reach the same heights as toys in packaging from the 1970s because we've got a collector culture now, whereas people are aware that things are worth more if they're still in the packaging. Mm. In the 70s, people weren't thinking that way. They just wanted to open it up and play with it. So the bits that are still in the packaging are stuff that was unsold stock from shops, stuff that people didn't really like and never wanted to open or presents that were forgotten in the loft you know okay yeah yeah of course when you buy too much at christmas and hide it away and don't find it again definitely definitely do that um oh right okay well did you have you got a collection of these dolls kelly are you a doll collector yourself i know it's obviously your job but do you collect dolls as well yes i started to um i've got a, a got my Havoc doll. I brought Havoc in a massive lot of Cindy dolls, which I intended to sell on, but my daughter wouldn't let me. So we now have a big collection of Cindy and clothing as well to go along with Havoc. And that's really cute though, that you can, I mean, surely mum has got the coolest job in the world of being a toy specialist. Does what's what's your little girl think of that? Oh, she loves it. And in the lot of dolls, we also got what's known as a clone doll. So 
at this time in the 60s and 70s, a lot of factories in Hong Kong were manufacturing fake dolls to imitate popular dolls like Cindy and Barbie. Oh, right. Okay, like the sort of cheaper mass-produced versions. Yeah, yeah. like the kind of thing you'd get in the pound shop that your nan would buy instead of the proper thing. and you'd be gutted because you'd be like, oh, no, I don't want that. It's called, like, you know, Lindy. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, so um, they're known as clone dolls in the collecting community, and we've got a couple of clones in this lot that are and my daughter's able to spot them she's like i can tell this one's a clone so she's there she's becoming a nerd just like me (laughs) well that's amazing thanks kaylee thanks for bringing that along i have never seen a hammock doll in my life but i will probably spot one of those if i see them moving forward so thanks very much for discussing item of the week with us thank you Okay, so welcome back. And now we are going to move on to Anonymous Tales of an Auctioneer. Today's story is called The Ghost Files. And we have our guest with us, and that is Andy Mayo. Hello. Thank you for having me. Hi, Andy. So you've got a story to tell us. Now, we must say that these stories, this didn't happen to you, did it? It No, it's just stories that you hear. So obviously... I think as you're out on calls and you do your different valuation days and you tend to hear different tales and stories, what people have seen, obviously there'll be items, houses they've been to, perhaps got a story in a tale. But this is about a particular item, which I think is a nice, well, interesting story. It's about a vase, as you said, ghost vase. <laughs> so the story goes, there's a valuation day that obviously occur around the country Every day of the week, auctioneers hold them. People bring items in for appraisal. So a lot of items end up uh, arriving at sale rooms and being sold. And what items do you normally expect at the valuation days? Well, you've got your usual, your usual suspects. I suppose up there would be grandma's best china. So you'd be the tea set, the mm. figurines, and your vases, as we mentioned, um, glassware, jewellery, all sorts, clocks and the like. So it's everything coming it's in. all sorts. You don't know what's from, coming in from day uh, Absolutely, day. from a group of war medals to a tea set and paintings and everything in between. But this one particular story stuck with me in so much that so there are two people coming to a uh, you know into evaluation day and amongst other items a box full of bits and pieces all sorts as we mentioned and amongst them is a vase now this vase is of no particular interest to them it's something they don't particularly like at all in fact but the vase did once upon a time and was somebody's pride and joy right it's, it's a not a particularly rare or important vase but just the vase that I think uh, a family member prior to the present owners enjoyed, used to stick a bunch of flowers in it every week. So and a that relative was or... So it was like... just, absolutely. But you just it's just a vase that always sat in the kitchen on the windowsill and right. it had been there, been there forevermore. Um, the previous owner had loved the vase. Present owners now have never liked it. Can remember it since they were knee high, never liked it. But don't and like it because they don't like the look of it. It was or... just, yeah, it's one of those things. I just think it was just the, the shape and the colour just never did anything for them. So and they're now in a situation where they have to clear this house. So as they start to clear it, one of the first things they want to clear, or they've established very quickly and early on, that one of the first things that nobody wants is this vase that sat on the kitchen windowsill. But don't forget, this vase was the previous owner's pride and joy. Put a bunch of flowers in it every week, sat on the kitchen windowsill. It's seen everything that's gone on in that house as this vase. 
So they're clearing the house. Nobody in the family wants it. No friends want it. They've got to the situation. They've offered offered this bar to everybody they can think of. Nobody likes the bar. He says, thank you very much. It's not for me. I don't particularly like it. They've then decided, well, that's it. We've got a bunch of other bits and pieces we need to clear. Mm. We'll take it down to the tip. Sorted bits out they want to keep. They've got a box of bits that sadly nobody wants. Off they go to the tip. So this chap pulls up and he's popping his bits, as you do now, back up back up to sort of the skip and you've thrown your bits and pieces in and he throws the bars into the skip. Now, what do you think is going to happen? Smashed. Good noise. China bars into the... And that was the thing I forgot to say. Uh, so I understand that um, on his way, before he went to the tip, then he was told, make sure you throw the bars away. What was the big deal? We don't want to see it. We don't want to see it. <laughs> it's obviously, I don't know, but it was obviously a thing that they no didn't issue, particularly it? like it, really didn't like it, niggled them. It was always... So make sure you throw the bars away. So this chap has turned up and he's, uh, he's doing as he's told, throws the bars into the skip. And I said, what do you think that? You think it's going to break? Yeah, of course. This vase doesn't break. Guess what happens with this vase? What happened? This vase. It turned into a big monster and attacked them all. It turns something, I'll tell you what it does. It turns around and flies back at the chap and he has to catch it. He physically cannot throw it away. The vase, it would appear, is haunted by the previous owner. <laughs> this chap then... What? Does he have another chap, go? Honestly, has another go. He cannot physically throw the vase away. So, he, hang on, hang on. Let's just go back for a sec, Andy. Uh, he chucks it in the skip and it it bounces back. I am with you. Skip. I don't know whether it bounced or whether it kind of just sort of boomeranged <laughs> and came back. And but I'm with you. It is honestly... So I'm told this is this is the thing, but it comes back. This chap, he's had a catch it. He can't get rid of the vase, so he goes back home. And obviously, he's questioning everything else he's got rid of, apart from the vase. Why have you not got rid of the vase? I physically couldn't throw it away. That and then takes it in to the auction house for appraisal. Obviously, and then the story unfolds. So what did the auctioneer take it in? The auctioneer didn't. I understand right. take it in because um, the vase was. As it always was, just an ordinary flower vase, no particular value, didn't warrant consigning to auction sale. And, and the rest of the tale is a mystery. Who owns it today? Beautiful, Andy. That is mm. beautiful. Well, who would want to own the You ghost don't really house? want to invite a ghost into your auction house, do you really? It doesn't doesn't You wouldn't, would you, to be fair. To be fair, of all the people you'd invite, <laughs> how much money are they gonna spend as well? That's another thing. The good question. Well, Andy. Thank you very much for the tale of the ghost vase. You're most welcome. Thank you for the invitation. So in all the excitement of putting on my out of office, I completely forgot to record an outro for this episode. So I am at home recording onto the terrible microphone on the laptop. So sorry that this sounds truly dreadful, but I hope you have a lovely Christmas and a happy new year. And we will be back with more episodes, more guests, more tales. And we look forward to you joining us then. Thank you very much. Bye. <laughs>